listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. got your Bible, and I hope you do, and I invite you to open up to Ephesians chapter 4, which is where our reading was just now, and it's also where uh, we're digging into and diving into as we pick up where we left off from last week. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be beginning in verse 31 today and just working through four short verses, Uh, but before we do that, I just want to make sure we know where we've been, okay? Because really, these four verses are wrapping up an entire section, okay, that we've been over the last few weeks. So, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 is all about our position in Christ. We were once far away from God, alienated from him, uh, children of darkness rather than light. And because of the overwhelming compassion and mercy of God the Father, he lavished the riches of his grace on us by sending his son. Okay? And so Jesus enters the world, right? Uh, he lives a perfect sinless life. He dies on the cross. He's resurrected to power and glory. He sits now at the right hand of the Father. Uh, and his work on the cross and his resurrection give us the opportunity to be forgiven by God the Father and adopted into the family of God. So we're no longer children of darkness. We're now children of light right? Uh, what a wonderful and glorious thing that is. And, and, and by becoming adopted in the Father, we also get this really cool thing, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Oh, what a wonderful thing, right? So that's, that's Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. It's about our position. You and I are now in Christ. We are now a part of the family of God. You in this room, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you've repented of your f- sin and placed your faith in him based on the, his work on the cross and his resurrection, We're in the same family now. Oh, that's a glorious thing. Some of you are going, good, I needed a new family. That's good. (laughs) It's a wonderful thing, okay? Ephesians chapters four through six, which we're in now, the second half, based on our position in Christ, it's now all about our condition. And our condition can kind of change. It's reflected in different ways. Based on different decisions we make, based on our lifestyle, maybe words we say or don't say, those kind of things. And so last week we get to this wonderful verse Thank goodness Chris Osborne got to preach on that. The grieving of the Holy Spirit, right? And if you remember from last week, it's it's basically if you're a believer in Christ and you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, then we want to choose in life the things that bring the joy of the Spirit, the things that please God the Father. And we want to stay away from the things that would grieve the Holy Spirit. And those things that grieve the Holy Spirit are the things that we would identify with our former selves, our old lifestyle before Christ, when we were children of darkness, right? And that's what Paul says, beginning in chapter uh, four, beginning in verse 17, this, 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 this big section that we're in, that you were once away from God, alienated from him in darkness. You were once like the Gentiles, but now that you are in Christ, you are different. And you should pursue the joy of the spirit rather than grieving the spirit. I want you to think of it like this. Some of you are parents in the room, Uh, And maybe something similar has happened to you where you have a child uh, and and you did the best you could uh, raising them and and pointing them to Christ, but maybe they chose a different path in life. Maybe they chose something that led to uh, uh, some sort of addiction, uh, drugs or alcohol or or pornography or something that kind of corrupted their hearts, corrupted their mind, corrupted their lifestyles. And that went on for several years. But then eventually God broke through in their lives. 
and you just saw a radical transformation in their life where they threw away the old things that used to define them and started to pursue Christ and pursue righteousness. And the joy that you experienced in those moments of seeing your child experience the transformation of the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that went on for a couple of years, maybe five, 10 years down the road. Something happens and they fall back into those old habits, those old lifestyles back into whatever addiction had grabbed them and hooked them. You, as a parent, would be grieved by that, wouldn't you? It would break your heart to see somebody who had, who had chosen Christ, who had been transformed in their lives to choose the old things that are so destructive and harmful for them, and that's grieving the Holy Spirit. That we would choose things of our old life, of our old self, that are not of the Spirit, that, that are not pleasing to God. And so Paul, beginning in verse 31 today, is going to give us some practical example of this, okay? He's going to give us a practical example of what this looks like to choose the joy of the Spirit and to, to put off the things that would grieve the Spirit. So picking up in verse 31, Paul says this. He gives this wonderful example. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All right, so the picture here is, right, uh, for, for some of you, you went to college. And for some of you, as you were in college, you know, especially that first week of freshman orientation, all those kind of things, maybe you saw the unusual event of somebody walking around as a college freshman still with their high school letter jacket on. That's a faux pas, right? That's, a, a, that's not good etiquette in college, right? right? It's time to put away the old things. <laughs> and move on to new, the new, and that's what Paul is saying here. It's time to put away these things, and he lists these five or six things, and they're all kind of work together. He's really saying just get rid of anger. Remove anger in all of its forms from your life. These are the old things, right? This is your high school letter jacket. It's time to move on to college, right? To the things that would, would give joy in the spirit. So what are the things that he lists there? What's the first one in verse 31? Bitterness, bitterness. Um, bitterness is really just kind of that, um, how, how, it's that condition of never seeing good in anything, right? Maybe your, your brother or sister in Christ and you, you look at them and because of events and situations in your life, you look at them and you don't see the 99% in their life that's good. You see the 1% that's a flaw or a defect or a deficiency in their life and you focus and concentrate on that, right? You know, at that point you're bitter. And let's be honest, there's genuine grievances in our life. As believers living in a fallen and sinful world, life is still hard. There are genuine things that, that hurt us, that offend us, that give us hardships and difficulty. Maybe you've lost a job in recent days. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have conflict with a spouse. Maybe you have conflict with a brother or sister here where maybe somebody said something about you true or not true behind your back and other people are whispering and talking about it and you know it and you start to think on it and to dwell on it and to soak in that and it festers to bitterness and you just sour because of that. Some things are, well, based on that, after you kind of sour, then anything you could be bitter about, right? You start to see life and events and actions through that lens and through that filter. So things that really aren't against you or somebody out to hurt you, you, you think it is. You're, you imagine it and make it up because of that lens and filter you, you, you kind of see through everything through. Next week is Tailgate Sunday. Oh, it's a great Sunday. I enjoy it so much. 
um, basically because I'm one of the uh, tent judges and I do accept bribes, okay? Next week is tailgate Sunday. It's going to be a lot of fun tailgating food. We're going to have a lot of fun and fellowship with our family, right? Uh, people are going to be wearing different jerseys and those kind of things of your favorite team. One of my absolute favorite people in this room I know is going to show up wearing something in OU. <clears throat> and as a Texas Tech fan, I'm bitter and resentful towards that. Do you know why I'm bitter and resentful towards that? Because OU football team is made up 95% of Texas players. Why are they leaving our state to somewhere else? They need to stay at Texas Tech. So I'm bitter and resentful towards that. Okay? Sometimes there's going to be imagined grievances that we have with one another that we soak on and sit in, right, when it's not really there. How do you know if you're a bitter person? When somebody who's offended you or you think has offended you, you can't even look them in the eye. You can't even get in the car with them to go to lunch. You know exactly where they sit on a Sunday morning and you either choose the balcony instead of the front row where they are or you sit in their seat just to despite them, right? (laughs) When you can't pray for another brother and sister in Christ, your family members in this room, you're a bitter person towards them. Bitter towards them. Paul says we can't have any of this. In our family, the people in this room, that cannot be a marker of who we are. It's not healthy for us as a family. What's the next two things after bitterness? Wrath and anger. All right, it gets intense here, right? So it's one thing to be bitter. It's another thing to be wrathful and angry, right? This kind of picture is this this bubbling over uh, of anger, of violence, right? It's kind of this, this, this loud, boisterous shouting outburst, right? You can't see it when you're shouting at people rather than talking with them. You've just had it so much. You just, you've been bitter and resentful for so long over something somebody said or wearing an OU jersey. You just shout out in anger at them. Paul says we can't have any of this. There's brothers and sisters in Christ, the same family. We're not to shout at one another. We're to speak with one another in love, as we'll get to here in a little bit. What are the next two things? Clamor and slander. I love this picture. All right? The, the clamor picture is this kind of idea of a, of a raven croaking out loud, right? And so, uh, and, and slander is that kind of intentional use of lies, uh, um, lies and gossip to kind of defame somebody, to vilify them with other people, right? So the picture is, all right, go with me here. Tailgate Sunday next week, uh, and your Bible fellowship class is hosting a tent, and you're excited about it, and you're usually the, the, the person that they call on to help, you know, grill some barbecue, maybe some ribs, I don't know, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, you know, that's kind of your job normally, and this year they, they ask somebody else to do it. Oh, and you, you're kind of hurt by it, Why? Why did they do that? Well, you don't, you don't remember, but you're on vacation that week, and that's why they chose somebody else. But, but that's not how it feels in the moment. So you kind of start to gather some people in the, your Bible fellowship group before it starts, and you start to talk about it and whine about it and complain about it, try to get them on your side for them to see your point of view in this. And you start bickering, and, and soon you start kind of lying and gossiping about the other people who have offended you. Right, that's the picture of clamoring and slander. Paul says we can't have any of this in this family, in this room. That cannot mark, that cannot define who we are because we are in Christ. So why should we put these things away? 
two reasons. We really see this from chapter four, the whole of the chapter. The first is that it grieves the Holy Spirit, right? These are the old things, the things that used to define us, the things that that define the Gentiles, right? The, The children of darkness rather than the children of light. So when we choose this path, we are willfully choosing to grieve the Spirit, that's, a, that's a not a good thing to do, potentially breaking the heart of God. The second reason that we're not supposed to do this, that we should put these old things away, is because it, des- it, it destroys the harmony and the unity in this room. Now, as we said, God the Father forgives us of sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his loving sacrifice on the cross, and then you and I are indwelt with What? Okay, the Holy Spirit, good, you passed that one. Now, does everybody get their own Holy Spirit? Like, you know, you get the green one, you get the blue one, you get Yoda's Holy Spirit, those kind of, you get, you get a different one? No, we're all indwelt with the same Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit that dwells in me, because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, dwells in you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Chapter four, beginning in verse one, talks about how the purpose the body of Christ of the Holy Spirit is to help unify us together. Despite our background, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, tech fans or OU fans, despite where we grew up, despite the languages that we speak, the barriers uh, of, of, of race and wealth and anything else, the job of the Holy Spirit is to help unify us together. And when we willfully walk towards grieving the Spirit by being bitter and resentful to one another, by lashing out in anger, by gossiping and lying and clamoring and slandering one another, and we're causing disunity. It'd be like me standing up in the choir and singing with everybody with a microphone on. It's gonna be off key every time. What you're looking for in a choir is for there to be harmony with the voices. So when we choose this, the anger and the bitterness and the resentfulness and and the wrath, we're choosing to grieve the spirit. Paul says, put it away, put it away. Just like your high school letter jacket, put it away. The great thing is he goes on to verse 32 and says, instead of these things, so put away all of this, instead of those things, I want you to put on these things. So let's look in verse 32. He's going to give us three things. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I, um, I need to make a confession to you this morning. I would greatly appreciate it if nobody in this room would drive to my house and look at my front yard. I'm a little embarrassed, a little ashamed at the state of my yard. Now the grass is mowed and weed eaten and that part looks fine. It's really the flower beds, okay? It's really the stuff up close to the house. The ivy is growing everywhere, the jasmine is growing, the bushes are untrimmed and trees untrimmed, the flowers are dead and they need to be removed and replaced and there's just weeds growing everywhere. And that's because flower beds take time and attention and effort, right? To keep the weeds out, to keep everything looking good, the flowers and the life to grow. And in many ways, it's the same thing in our spiritual life. I think that's kind of what Paul's getting at here. In order for us to develop these, this lifestyle of, uh, of the spirit of God, things that please and honor God, we need to get rid of the old things, get rid of the weeds, rip them out, get rid of all the dead trees that are dying, rip them out, and plant new stuff. And by the planting of those things, it doesn't leave any room for the rest. So Paul gives us three things that we should be planting in our lives. What are they? What's the first one in verse 32? I'm sorry, say it with conviction like you. 
Okay, kindness, there we go, right? Kindness. So you and I are to be marked and identified by kindness. Oh, this one hurts, doesn't it? Don't raise your hands. How many of you are struggling with being kind to other people today? Hmm. Paul says this is something that should mark and define us. That we should think more of other people than ourselves no matter what they've done, no matter what they've said, no matter how they've hurt us or offend us, and we should still extend kindness to them in the face of that. What's the second thing after kindness? Tenderhearted towards each other. Anybody else have a different translation besides tenderhearted? Compassionate, there we go, that's the one I love, right? Uh, That's the one I love, that we would be compassionate towards one another. And, and, And that word compassion is, we see it pop up in the New Testament in several places. So Jesus, okay, this is Jeremy's translation, a paraphrased version. Jesus, after he's been doing some ministry and those kind of things, in his introverted self says, I'm really tired of people. I'm going to go away and rest for a little bit. So he hops in a boat, goes across the sea, tries to get away. Gets to the other side and, well, the people have followed him and there's other people there, right? And and it's pretty clear in Matthew chapter 14 that he looks at the crowd of people and he has compassion on them so he heals the sick and then feeds the 5,000. It's the same word for compassion there. That he looks at these people who are sick and hurting and it breaks his heart and he knows he can do something about it and so he does. We get the same word, that same image in in the story of the Good Samaritan. You know the, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? There's a person who's been beaten They're lying in a ditch on the side of the road, um, hurt, and we get these multiple people who walk by and kind of see it, and oh, I didn't see anything, kind of walk to the other side. I got got an appointment I got to get to. Even a a, a priest, right, walks by and says, oh, no, can't do that, walks on by. But then you get a Samaritan, the least likely individual who looks at him and says, in Luke um, chapter 10, it says that he looks at him and has compassion for him, And so he goes over, he picks him up, he takes him, he bandages him, he takes him to a hotel, he pays for him to recover and to rest and to have food. All because he saw a person in need, he could do something about it, and it broke his heart to see them in that state. He had compassion on them. It's the same word that's used in the story of the prodigal son. A son who demands outright, hey, I want all your money, pops. Whatever's owed to me, let's have it now. I'm going to Vegas. Jeremy's translation. I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to spend it all. He does. It says that there's this point in the son's life where he's lying in the wallow of the pigs and he realizes it would be better to be a servant in my father's house than to be here lying with the pigs. And in that humility and that brokenness, he goes back home. In Luke chapter 15, it says that when the father saw the son coming, he had compassion on him. And he ran out to greet him, welcoming him back into the home, even though his son had offended him and hurt him and chose things that would grieve the spirit rather than the joy of the spirit. Believer, you and I are to have compassion on one another. We're to be kind towards one another. Instead of letting bitterness and resentfulness build and well, rather than being angry and lashing out at other people because they've hurt us and they've offended us, rather than than saying negative things behind their back about them, right? Our job is to be compassionate to them. That in spite of the sin that has ensnared them for that moment, 
that we would have compassion on them. And what was the third thing? Forgive them. That one's hard to hear. I'm going to be honest. Uh, when I got the call, hey, Jeremy, you're preaching this Sunday. Okay, cool. What's the passage? All right. Oh, great. I'm glad Chris handled the grieving of the Holy Spirit last week. Oh, this one's going to be easy. It's so just laid out there. And you start reading it and studying it, praying about it. And man, the Holy Spirit just convicts and steps on toes. You and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as family members, are to forgive one another. And I know that can be very, very hard sometimes. When somebody's intentionally hurt you on purpose, it's really hard to forgive them. When somebody's unintentionally said something that, that really caused you pain and grief, it's really hard to forgive somebody. But that's our job. That's our responsibility. Why? Verse 32. We are to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. I want you to think about that picture for a minute. God forgave you, believer, of your rebellion against him, your slander against him, your lifestyle that would grieve him. And in spite of all those things, he looked at you and had compassion on you and forgave you. And I want you to think for a minute of what that cost God. In him forgiving you for your offending him, it cost him his son. You and I are to extend the same forgiveness to our brothers and sisters in this room. Because we've been forgiven, we're to extend the same kind of forgiveness. If God can give up his son to extend forgiveness, then maybe you and I can give up our pride, our hurt feelings, our reputation, whatever may be getting in the way of that. If we will put off the things that grieve the spirit, the anger and the clamor and the slander and the malice, and the evil intentions of the heart, and we will walk towards the, 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 the joy of the Spirit and be kind to one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven us and love one another as Christ has sacrificially loved us, then we will be imitating God. That's what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, based on all of this, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, I know several of you could probably give a good imitation. Perhaps you've got Pastor Scott's preaching mannerisms down. It's not what we're asking for. Maybe you've got Chris Osborne's preaching mannerisms down. It's not what we're asking for. But an imitation is to mimic someone. And usually we do this with somebody we really like, somebody that we put on this pedestal, somebody we want to be like, right? I remember back in playing sports and playing baseball, you know, growing up, watching a lot of Braves on TBS in the 90s. Chipper Jones was my boy. As a baseball player, I wanted to be like Chipper Jones. And so I would do things that he did. One of the unique things about Chipper Jones was he always wore the high socks, old school. So in high school, when everybody's doing the long pants all the way down, as baggy as you can get, I'm rocking the high socks. So I want to be like Chipper Jones. 
I also wanted to be a little bit like Mickey Tettleton. I thought he had the coolest batting stance ever. He'd just kind of walk up, and he'd just kind of stand there, bend his knees, this little golf swing kind of thing. One, two, three, four. I wanted to be like those guys, and so I imitated them. In basketball, I did the same thing. You know, I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. So I wear the little sweatbands that he wore, hoping it would make me jump higher. Yeah. As parents, you know this with your children. As children, you know this was your parents. When you were young, you probably idolized your parents. You wanted to be like them. You, you wanted to walk like them and talk like them and dress like them and do the things that they did. Right now, I have a almost five-year-old son, a just-turned three-year-old daughter, and one on the way. Life is interesting at our house. Throw in the dog. Woo! The other night, kids were getting ready for bed. You know, we're going through bath time, or the bedtime routine. They're taking baths, brushing teeth, brushing hair, kind of things. I left for a minute to go let the dog out, come back. And I see my children, and they've got their PJ bottoms on, but not their tops. It's like one thing to see my son that way. It's another thing, well, okay, she's still young. That's fine. Like, well, what's going on? And my little girl goes, I'm not wearing a shirt, just like daddy does. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you knew that. Okay, great. All right, all right. Set imitation, right? We want to be like that individual. And so, so we want to mimic them and do what they do. We want to love the things that they love and we want to hate the things that they hate. The things that break their heart are going to break ours, right? The priorities that they have are going to be the priorities for us. And God is saying, imitate God. Imitate Christ. If you want to reject a life that grieves the spirit and pursue the joy in the spirit, then do everything you can to imitate God. And part of the way you do that is being by, for those family members in this room, you're kind to one another. You forgive others as God forgave you, even if there's sacrifice involved. And you love one another just like Christ sacrificially loved you. If you want to imitate God, that's how you do it. Can you imagine what it would be like for our church family if there were no grudges, there was no bitterness boiling under the skin, there were no hurt feelings like that. But if that we actually did face those conflicts and we forgave one another, we cried together, we hugged each other, we loved one another sacrificially, thinking of the other more than ourselves, how that would change the dynamic in this room and in our life and in our community. The example that we would be setting for those around us. I want to ask you a very simple question this morning. Are you struggling with bitterness? This may be somebody in this room. Are you resentful towards somebody, maybe in this room, for something they said, for something they didn't say, something they did, something they didn't say. Have you been speaking lies and gossip behind their back, trying to rally others towards your cause against an individual? If that's the case, there is no room in this room for that. There is no room in this family for that. We want to be marked by the kindness and the compassion and the forgiveness and the sacrificial love just as God gave us. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we're thankful for your word. 
The words of the Apostle Paul, Father, even when they're (laughs) difficult to swallow, even when they're uncomfortable for us. Father, but we're thankful for those things that remind us that we need to look in the mirror, take an investment of our lives, Father, maybe confront sin that snuck up in our lives. Father, we're thankful for the great and wonderful example that you've given us, that in spite of ourselves, you forgave us, even if it meant sacrificing your son. Father, help us to be like that. Help us to desire that. Help us to pursue the joy of the Spirit in rejecting the old things. Father, help us to resolve conflict that may be in this room with our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can all march forward in unity led by the Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.